Hi, I'm Dan Higginson, and welcome to the 12th episode of the Idle Hands podcast, where we hope to discuss and learn more about effective creative process. I'm joined today by the man that's been prowling around Soho like a random creep, Paul Bentz. Thanks very much. I don't know if I'll, I'll take that, but, uh, you know, ooh, <laughs> creep, maybe a creepy ghoul. I've heard all about your knife photography pictures, mate. <laughs> <laughs> and... And cinematographer and photographer Hugh Waters. Hi guys, how are you? Good mate, how are you? It's good to have you with us. Very good, thank you. No, very good. It's lovely to have a fellow Welshman on the show. Are you our first Welshman? I Besides think... Paul, obviously. Yeah. What do you mean, your first Welshman? What, what, what the <laughs> thing to say? Right, is it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I guess you are, right? Yeah, he is. A first yeah. Welsh guest. A first Welsh guest and a legend to start this off, right? What an honour, what a privilege. It's a privilege yeah. to have you with us. I was literally just saying before we started the podcast, I've been familiar with, with Hugh's work for a couple of weeks since Paul started talking about you and having just been on your website and looking at all the cinematography stuff on there, I'm just absolutely blown away that we've managed to get you on the podcast. It's Thank you very much. Every single, every single frame of, of all those videos, they, they, just, they just look like stills. They look like still photography. It's amazing. I was particularly impressed with, um, what was it? The, the, is it called Punked or something? This, this Moroccan I, I think, lady. I think for myself, uh, um, that's right, yeah. So Punked is an Italian fashion magazine. I think it's just online now. And um, I guess this was about three or four years ago. I, I was working a lot for a company called London DC. Um, Paul knows Dan very well, who's now in Australia. And, um, and they came up with this project, which was essentially to do a fashion film at the same time a photographer was working at in Morocco. And I sort of, we, we, I didn't shadow him as such because we, we worked with the same model, but we worked in a, in a different way. We were sort of, I was setting one thing up while he was setting something else up. And it, it worked very well, but it, it is interesting working with Italians and Moroccans has been quite an experience. <laughs> In what way? <laughs> well, I think with the best one in the world, everybody really wanted to get up and work with the best light. And they would talk about it until the early hours of the morning and then crash out after a little bit, maybe too many Moroccan cigarettes. <laughs> no ever got on time. <laughs> Hugh, I want you, I want you to, to rewind some years and tell me where it all began for you and how, how you actually got into it. That would be a really nice start for me. Yeah. Um... I think at some point in my A-levels, photography just took over, really. I mean, I I went to school in Wales. I was studying biology and geography um, at A-level and photography at night school, an A-level at night school in Swansea. So dad would take me. There was no course um, as such in my school. Dad would take me over to Swansea a couple of nights a week and, and then I'd study there for a couple of hours um, in what was then West Glam Institute of Higher Education. And um, I don't even think it exists anymore. If it does, it's called something else. And at some point, you know, there was like lots and lots of kids. I mean, I, I was thinking about zoology and marine biology and that sort of stuff. And then, I don't know, it just photography just took over. And then, and then there was nothing else, really. And then by the time I was sort of midway through my A-levels, I'd categorically decided I wanted to go to art school and I wanted to study photography. And it was just a question of where. Do you remember, like, was there anything specific that you were doing at that college where that spark took hold? Do you, do you, do you remember the, the point that it happened? I think, I think it was to do with processing film. I think it was to do with printing in the darkroom. Um, and that magic, which I don't think many of us know anymore, I think it's kind of, it's all become about computer screens, but that, that analog magic of actually being in a dark room in this red, 
womb-like environment, really, because that's what it is. You know, you're in this warm, comfortable place, aren't you? It's like being back in the womb a bit. And seeing these magical prints come up, it's just it's mind-blowing, really. And I, I have a dark room now, and I still use it. I still do that, not as often as I'd like to do. But I think that was at the point that that kind of drug took hold and everything else just went out the window. I just wanted to make pictures. I love that. Do you know what? I've just ordered an, an enlarger. Apparently it does colour and black and white as well. And it's been years since I've been in the dark. I, I, I did photography at school as well. So I must have been about 16. And that was my first experience of proper photography. Yeah. Up until that point, it was all just like the point and shoot disposable cameras. Yeah. And um, yeah, I, I, I've got similar fond memories of that red light and proper photography is black and white. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So Hugh, right, um, this is a question that comes up regularly on this podcast, but you, you're probably in a perfect position to answer it. Is because, because digital has become obviously the, the, the tool of use because of the ease of use. Why, why do you still shoot film photography? What's the, what's, what's the difference between the, the two mediums that makes you want to still go into the dark room and, and, and make pictures that way? I mean, you know, there's the romantic thing. There's no doubt about that. And I think a lot of the whole analog culture, looking back on something that's gone, is a kind of a longing for. But, but it's it's just different, and it it's not that digital is too easy because because your your eyes, your eye composition, lighting, you know, you're all. But there's just something about a black and white print. And, and even more than that, a, a platinum print, when you go to that level and you start printing in platinum, that it is, it, it's it's not a tangible thing. It's not, you can't hold it up against the best archival printed Epson print on animal paper or whatever and, and say, this is better because it, it it's it's just from inside. It's just a feeling you have. And and I, I just fucking love it. I just really do. And it, and it is different. <laughs> No, I, I, I was going to say, do you get to shoot film these uh, film for any commercial jobs these days? Or, or uh, hardly it? ever. No, I did a commercial for um, um, Continental GT tires five thousand two years ago, which we shot in the Pyrenees, Pyrenees, and it um, it had some Super Eight in it, and it had some Super Eight in it for a while, and then in the final edit, they took the Super Eight out, and it, and then it was all clean digital, but. Um, it was a lovely project. We had about three, maybe four days filming various cyclists, um, some professional, some amateur, um, in an amazing backdrop. Um, and we did shoot Super 8 film, but it, it didn't make it into the final commercial. So you shoot, right, both, both film and photography. And so what do you prefer? If you, if you, if you only had to take, take one to a desert island with you, what would you take, the, the, the camera or the film? Oh, camera? I don't know. Maybe it's so hard, isn't it? I mean... To work on an 8x10 camera and with like a 100-year-old lens, a Gers, the Gore lens from Berlin, and and then make platinum contact prints from that, you know, is just wonderful. But it is just so time-consuming and so frustrating and slow. I could don't think I could commit to it anymore, I think. But as a luxury and as a, you know, for your soul, it's fantastic. But it just... It's not practical. So, yeah, digital, the digital Leica. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're our second Leica man, I think we've had, right? Yeah, the, he is. Yeah, yeah. There's recently. something about that camera brand, isn't there? There is. Um, I think one of the, the nice things about the Leica is that I think, and this is, it's not justification, but maybe it comes across as justification, is that in 10 years' time, maybe 15 years' time, 
somebody else will still be using that camera. It might not be me, but it'll be somebody. Somebody will still be using it and it'll still be alive. And I think an awful lot of cameras that cost a lot of money are almost semi-disposable now. And after mm. two years or so, you know, they'll have, they'll have seen their best days, you know. So I think there's something about that, that I quite like that. Can we go back onto Hugh's journey then? So you, you, you come out of college yeah. and, and what, what, what happens next? So I went to um, art school. I went to Gloucestershire um, Art College, which was in Gloucester at the time. It's now in Cheltenham, and they've merged with Cheltenham Art College, which is much more prestigious than Gloucestershire was. But um, but it was a good course. It was a very good, practical, uh, and it, it turned out people who went on to be assistants. So you were under no illusion. You, I think now people come out of college and they want to be photographers straight away. We were very much kind of groomed into, we're coming out of college, we're going to London, and the first thing you need to know is how to be a good assistant, because that's where you'll really learn. That's where you'll really learn your, your craft. So we were taught, it was photography and film, so I, I did film a college as well. I had a Bolex, and I, I shot a couple of films on that. Um, and then when I came out of college, I went to London, and I quite quickly joined the Association of Photographers. Um, I was one of their assistants for a, for a while, and that, I got to work with some great people. They came to London to do shoots for Condé Nast and and commercials, all sorts of things. But it was a good course. It was a good course because it, it, it you know it didn't it, it it you know I think a lot of students come out now with very very high expectations of they're instantly going to be successful photographers, and the world's not like that. You know, totally. you've got to find something that's hard to do that you can do better than other people. And that's the secret. And it's so competitive, right? I still haven't figured it out. It's <laughs> <laughs> amazing. So, so once you started assisting, was there anything that you quickly learned that sort of disabused you of something that you'd learned while you were at university? I tell you, I mean, the first thing nobody ever prepares you for as an assistant is how to stand up all day. Because, you know, you're in a commercial environment and the clients, your boss, the photographer, whoever they are, is there. And then there's the client and then there's other people that are with the client account, people and stuff. And you, you know, you have to be nice to everybody, but still keep the shoot running. Um, and you're on your feet and it, it, you're not used to standing up for 10 hours. And that's quite a shock. It's different now because, you know, assistants manage files and they sit at the computer and do basic grades and all sorts of things. But then, you know, you, you kind of, you were there right next to the photographer doing whatever they told you to do. So you come out of, you come in, you come to London. How long do you assist for? How many years do you assist for? Too long. Um, probably about nine years, I think, something like that. Nine, oh, ten that's years. A, that's a good, a good kind of learning, isn't it? Those nine yeah. years. Big education, isn't it? I'm with great people, you know, great fashion photographers that were coming, people coming over from New York to work for Condé Nast. Um, and that, because what was the way the Association of Photographers worked, AFAP, as it was then known, it's the AOP now, I think, but, um, you were on their booking system. And so, you know, if somebody was coming in for New York to do a shoot, they'd want an assistant that could take care of everything for them. And they literally would turn up with their camera. Um, then you were able to do that. And I think there were about, at the height of it, there were about 15 of us on the books. Um, and it was a great period. It was a really, really great period. But but no continuity. You know, you, you're working with different people. I think a bit later on, then I, I, I became full-time assistant for various people. 
and um, and that tended to be more advertising. Um, people um, like Howard Gray, who was a very good name for advertising photographers. I looked. I worked a lot for somebody called Michael Joseph, um, Clapham Northside, who had an amazing empire and did these really big. I don't know if you remember those kind of big orgy kind of photographs. You know, there'd be like fifty people in there, and it would be for coffee or it would be for something. Um, but just cast of thousands. And um, another photographer called Bob Miller. I worked for Bob for quite a long time. And it, I, I love seeing, because they're all still out there and they're all coming to terms with Instagram now and posting pictures. And you can sense their frustration because they're not getting the likes because they just want to put a picture up and get a thousand likes and they don't realise you have to engage and you have to yeah. people. I'm not sure that Instagram's the place for that either, though, right? If you've got they lots want of... It, though. They, it's interesting to see. You know, they, want, yeah. they still want that approval, even if they've retired and stuff, you know, which most of them have. Which, and is, uh, is that about the time that you, that, you, that you started to pick up cinematography? No, I kind of had this kind of moment, I think, when... Um, so at the end of that kind of assisting period, I, I was traveling as much as I could, whenever I could. Um, I shared a house with three other people in Putney, um, and I'd get a chance to go to America for a month or something, and I would rent the room out. Somebody else, we'd sublet the room. Somebody would come in there and need someone to stay for months. You'd still be okay. And then just go off traveling for months. But then I'd, I'd go to India and America and Mexico, and amazing kind of experiences skint, you know, no money or anything, but just seeing life and then come back and that room would still be there. So that was, that was great. You know, it was, um, amazing kind of experience, but, uh, but still be able to come back. Um, less so with jobs, more, more just literally just going off to the camera to look at the world, you know. And did that inform how you took pictures in the future on commission work? Is, is kind of, was this what still you, you trying to find out what you like shooting with, with the camera? Like, were you, were you want to, are I you think, on a mission to find yourself, I suppose, with, with these journeys? No, no, I've never been like that. No, I'm not, you know, I still don't really know who I am, I don't think. But I, I just think that, you know, it, it's always good to go somewhere different and to see, you know, different things. That turns me on, to go somewhere different and see, just see how p- different people dress, you know, and, and to look at the lights and to look at the way the traffic flows and to see, just, just you know, it's just... To see a different view of the world, really, you know, I think that, that's what drives me. And I think does that inform you later on with clients and things? I think to some extent, in the sense that you'd like to think that you're humble, and when, when you're just looking at the world in a different perspective, you know, you, maybe that carries on later on. Yeah, yeah, I think so. This idea of being humble, and, and you know, obviously, but if you're really well travelled, you. You, you see different people from all over the world. And then when you come to shoot your, your commission work, then th- this idea of, you know, who is a, a kind individual, that, that must kind of come out in the work that you shoot, right? It must, it must in some I ways... I, 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 I think that would be lovely if it did, yeah. I think, um, you know, I, I think I've always been more of an observer of things than... A, pushing things through hard but yes of course you have to get what you want and you have to tell you whoever you're photographing or filming what it is you need to get from them the relationship is more complex in a in a, in a film environment because essentially you're the director's right hand man you might be the director of photography but it's really the director who's calling the shots so you're 
your job there is to actually realize what, what he or she have in their minds. So it's different. And that's what's lovely then when I'm just photographing and I'm just on my own. And it's not that I don't like working for directors. Of course I do. But <clears throat> you're very much doing what somebody wants. Um, whereas then when it's just you with Leica, it, it's a different it's a different thing, you know? How difficult, like, is that translation process from what a director wants to what's in, like, because there must be a gap, at, right, in, in terms of their idea transferring into your brain and then you producing the, the shots or the way that they, how, you know, how, do some directors better than others at telling you what they want, I suppose? Everybody's different. I mean, some directors are technically, you know, superb. They know everything. They know exactly what lens that they want and they know where the camera, you know, so you're, you're kind of doing exactly what they say. Other directors, you know, if it's, um, if it's a drama, if it's theatrical, <clears throat> they might be more engaged with the actors and then they don't really understand that much from the technical side. So you're bringing much more to the, to the table in that situation. But everybody's different, you know, some people are in between, somebody, you know, some people haven't got a clue about cameras or lenses or what something can do. Um, it, it's quite nice when you work with a director who actually does really know what they're doing, but they still give you the freedom, you know, to express yourself as well. It's not a battle. It doesn't work like that on commercials. On commercials, Hell. everything is drawn. Uh, you know, even lens for God's sake, you know, and, and it's actually almost like a jigsaw puzzle putting things together. Imagining that you're on one of the shoots where you've got more freedom, how much different is your approach to the way you might choose to frame something or, or whatever that question is, that part of the jigsaw puzzle? How much different is that when you're doing your cinematography stuff once you've got your freedom compared to your stills? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, you'd certainly have that conversation beforehand and somebody would be telling you that they want very symmetrical compositions. They want it, you know, very, you know, well, and somebody might say, you know, no, push it over to the left. Let's let's keep the action over there and then see how that can drift out of focus. But you, you'd have those conversations with the director beforehand on a, on a film. In terms of sales photography, you know, I play games with myself. You know, I might go a day and only use a 50mm lens if I'm in the mood for just a 50mm lens. Yeah, yeah. I just do things like that. Um, it, you know, I, I, my, my big thing is I don't like zooms. I, I, I've always tried to stay away from zooms and walk closer or, or change lens. I just feel that there's, there's an integrity, there's an honesty, there's something that you get from a prime lens that you do not get from a zoom. There are amazing zooms out now. I even have a zoom for the Leica, which I think is one of the best zooms I've ever Blasphemy, had. blasphemy. I'm <laughs> lazy. I see it as lazy. So I'm in a lazy mood. But I, I just think prime lens every time. It just bites in a way that the zoom doesn't bite. For both video and for stills. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, in lots of ways, I, the, there isn't a difference. You know, there might be a difference in the social kind of um structure you know the sort of wolf pack mentality of when you're filming uh of who's in charge and who gets their way and all that but but you know no there's, there's more similarities now than ever and it's getting closer and closer i mean look mm. at paul shoots his own video doesn't he you know i mean i bet all the time you know so those worlds are you know colliding they're coming together that's inevitable 
Paul's got a dirty Zoom habit as well. A dirty yeah. Zoom yeah. habit? Yeah. <laughs> you, you keep attacking me tonight. What's this? What have I done to upset you, Daniel? <laughs> And often Nothing he doesn't is. put a proper lens hood on either. <laughs> no, no, my God. And he knows that Dan came and did a shoot with me recently and he is like, oh my God, your lenses are filthy. Honestly, Hugh, they look like they've been licked by a cow. Yeah, they I've they never have seen anything like it in my life. <laughs> <laughs> Don't talk about my wife like that. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Ali. It has um, to be said, you're punching above your weight, mate. I don't know how you did it. Yeah. Uh, me neither, mate. Me neither, but it's been a life Brilliant. of luxury ever since. No. Um, hey, I want to talk about the first set of images you sent me because it, it really brings me on to something about like the, the, the landscape okay, one. Look at that. So, so I think some of these, let me try and get the ones up um, that I've sent you. They're um, colour landscapes, yeah? Yeah, colour landscapes. I think so. What the reason I've sent you these is one, one of the things I'm working on a fair bit at the moment is campaign for the Wales Tourist Board, which is known as Visit Wales. Um, that, that's their kind of the name they operate under. And and these aren't necessarily photos that were commissioned by them, but they're photos I've taken along the way when we've been going somewhere to do a portrait of somebody or something. And also this comes back to exactly what we were just talking about. They Quite often I'm filming and photographing, you know, as part of the same gig. Um, and it's, it's just me and a director, and it might be Nia, it might be my wife that comes with, because she works for Orchard, the production company that does a lot of the Visit Well stuff. So especially during COVID, um, last year we can go off together, and that's quite good. That's worked out quite well at times. Um, and then some of these landscapes are the things I've just taken along the way. And I ask you, like, I, I, look, I look through them, right, and, and how, like, there's something when I look at these landscapes that I, there's, like there's a bit of you in them, isn't there? This really makes me smile because I can see, like there's 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 a love for this landscape, isn't there? Like we the Welsh have ever have a word only for the love of a place. It's harith, is it? Is okay, there's, there's a word called hirith, which is longing for, but it's longing for something more than just landscape. But it it is longing for a better place and maybe a time before, you know, you could argue a time before the English came, or a time before some sort of Celtic kind of thing in the past they're not massively into that but it the, the word is a good word it's here i've been there's longing doesn't come close it's not it's not the same like there's 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 a, like i i love the one where there's like the, the the back mountain is silhouetted and then there's like an orange stony like i think it's the second one from the bot yeah the bo- i was going to call that one out as well you can tell you're a cinematographer because it's got this like aspect ratio. It's kind of yeah, that's an interesting thing because that is a definite knock on effect from filming more. I tend to, I just see landscape format. Um, I obviously do portrait format where there are people, but I, I'm still drifting more and more to landscape. It, it's interesting, but that is, yeah, that's undeniable. And that's just kind of happened. That's like a doubling down of a landscape as well, because you've, You've made it even more landscapey. You've kind of cut off the top and the bottom. Mm. I do really like that. There's something really magical about the the kind of the fact that the light only seems to be hitting that one mountain. And I guess it's probably worth pointing out that the color grades on these are amazing. They're really cinematic. I'm too. very I sim- really simple. I don't pretend to be able to get the most out of Photoshop for a second. Um, and and if I can, I'll stay out of Photoshop and I'll do most of my work in Lightroom because. Lightroom does most of what I need it to do. Um, what I'm really doing is grading. Um, 
yeah, of course there might be something I want to get rid of, but for the most part, I work in Lightroom. And, um, and I'm driven very much for the light. The shot you were talking about, which is on Snowden, and it's like that dark ridge and there's just a little bit of light on the orange kind of on that. Yeah. And that was a fantastic time because I was heading up to Anglesey and, um, basically Wales was in, still in lockdown and nobody could come in from England. So nobody was allowed to come over the border. So it was a strange time. The roads are quiet. And I just knew that I would, if I went about half an hour out to my way, I could go via Snowden. And I went via Snowden and I went into a car park. There'd normally be, you know, 30, 40 cars crammed in there and the mount. And I had the whole mountain to myself. And I walked up Snowden. So that's looking um, towards uh, Glidivvaur and Glidivvach, sort of over um, Penna Pass as you come back off Snowden. But just to be on that mountain on, on a nice day like that and completely alone was just breathtaking. That's amazing. It's an amazing photo. It is. It's, I, I, I don't know why I love it so much, but it, it just feels otherworldly in, in a way. And it's the light hitting that rock and the oranges. And yeah, it's a really magical, magical and image. And it's taken on a Zoom, I hate to tell you. It's taken on a Zoom. <laughs> there you go, mate. <laughs> Blasphemy. Blasphemy. The truth is in, in, in the taking, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> How honest is that? How close to the truth is that? It Was it like... Are we looking at right at the end of the day, and maybe there's two like giant clouds? Like, how how much of that? Well, is no, no, first? no. Actually, Dan, it's not far from the truth at all. No, it's really not far from the truth at all. I, I don't I don't muck around with things that much. I've I've the light was that color. Um, I've just what have I done with it? Um, I've actually desaturated it a little bit, and I've I pushed the black. Yeah, uh, no, I haven't done much to it at all, to be honest. And that's not mm. a word of a lie. I haven't. I can believe it. I've been to Wales. It's beautiful. When it's not raining. <laughs> when it's not, most of, which is most of the time. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not as rainy as Scotland. Like they have two types of weather. It's either really windy or it's yeah. raining sideways. That's <laughs> <laughs> so do you, know, do you know when you go out and take a picture in a, in a landscape here? Like, what, what's, what's, what are the bits that like think, oh, I'm going to stop and take that picture of that hill? What, what, what happens in your brain when you see that? orange like what was the process like well, was it- I mean, part of it is um you know your camera's in your pack isn't it so it's- I'm, I'm interested in the why right the why what, what are you like uh, like you say you, you as your career has progressed and you've maybe drawn more to landscapes in your later career is that right i mean or am i making an assumption i am drawn to landscapes definitely no there's no doubt about that and i still like people we can talk about people in the landscape and portraits and things but a picture like that, I'm sort of, I'm coming back down from Snowden. I, I am, you know, I'm stoked. I've had an amazing time and I'm on my way down. The light is getting better and better. And then you get to this, fuck me, I can't walk past that. <laughs> and you just have to put your pack down and get your camera back up. And maybe you try to even, you know, if it's that good. <laughs> and, and just, and just, you can't let it get away, can you? You know, you must. <laughs> Absolutely not. Yeah, I think like, it just stops you, you right? You just have to. Have you always got your camera with you here? Yeah, I, I, I've, I've got a camera with me all the time. Um, there have been various cameras over the years. I absolutely love, um, I've got, I mean, gone through lots of the M cameras and things, but something called a Leica Q2, which kind of, it just lifted it to the next level. I can film with it, though it's, it's on the edge of broadcast quality. But it's, it's, a, mass, it's a great chip. It, 
it's amazing and it's small enough to take everywhere with you when did you first start carrying a camera with you everywhere you went oh i think i've always done it i mean i've always done that since since college um i just get older and more tired so the cameras aren't as big but uh, yeah i think pretty much always have a camera i mean a phone you've always got a phone with you as well but it sure it's not the same it's not the same is it well why why do you why do you think you do that um fundamental insecurity i suppose <laughs> you just don't want to miss anything do you you don't want to you know do you take one to a party if you go to a party or you go to the pub or you, do you take it with you it like depends on how the... messy it's gonna get because okay. it's gonna get really messy i wouldn't want to leave the camera somewhere which is, <laughs> it could happen and has happened but yeah, maybe yeah i mean what about you paul would you yeah. Yeah, I, 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 it usually comes nine times out of ten yeah. everywhere I go. Pretty much, pretty much. Well, why, why, why do you do that then? What's your reason? Um, that's a good question. That's why, why do I take it with me everywhere? I think part of it is you're right. There's this fear of missing something, and I, I like it as this idea of memory. And it's like I think my memory is quite um, not great. And, and and when I when I, when I look at a picture I've taken. It has that ability to take me to that place. It maybe and, and something humorous happened, or maybe it was the way somebody looked, which made me, you know, I think photography has has this ability to make us pause and and look at ourselves, and that's 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 always the bit. Like, and maybe it's not on on a kind of subconscious level. That's that's happening all the time. You know, you're like I'm taking a picture of, you know, I've been doing Soho this week for a project. Um, I'm doing and. And like my my the way the way I take pictures, I, I feel like it constantly changes, and I love how. And I, I mean that might sound stupid, but I mean, you know, your your visual literacy in, sort of improves the longer you do it. So the more you take pictures, the, yeah. hopefully the better you get, or or these small incremental improvements. Yeah. And I've been shooting a kind of this um, Wandel project, um, which is predominantly documenting the River Wandle, which runs from where I live up to Croydon in um, London. And uh, so I haven't shot any street photography on the streets of London for like maybe two years. Yeah. And it was amazing to go and shoot street for up yeah. in Soho. It was so exciting because <laughs> it was like I was shooting a completely different way from what I'd shot yeah. previously. And I was like, oh my God, this is really cool. And I was excited again. I was like, oh, I want to go yeah. to Soho tomorrow, even though I don't have to shoot. <laughs> How quickly did you slip back into it? pretty quickly and it was really it was like yeah, you have it like i forget the buzz that that gives you like it's, it's really quite yeah it's it's quite yeah. um the the feedback loop is great you kind of it's you know i get a picture and i'm maybe it isn't that that instant like i'm kind of worried oh my god have i got this is this and i'm the client is going to moan because this is not what they wanted but actually i think it's what we talked about earlier dan it's about you've got to shoot what you like and hopefully in in the context of 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 those kind of streety type jobs that what you like is what the client will like and sometimes it doesn't happen yeah. but you know I think it's just trusting isn't it in 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 yourself I suppose and believing and it's hard it's like it it doesn't like I say it isn't static so like but the reason definitely the reason I think I take pictures is one for memory one is like I I, I take so many pictures that I can I can you know when. Apple says, ooh, look at this time a year ago, Paul. And I, 
think, why was I taking a picture of a bin? I throw something at you, Paul. Um, I mean, do you think sometimes, though, do you question that you get so engaged in the process of taking pictures to remind yourself of something that you've done or where you've been that actually you're not there at the time because you're just yeah. in the camera taking pictures? Totally. And that's yeah. something I've got a little bit more conscious about as I get older. So I think the secret is if you can balance those two. Yeah, I I've, I've been guilty of that for sure. I, I know that that's why I picked up film photography again, actually, now that there's a cost associated with every frame. Yeah, and you're not chimping all the time, are you? Looking at the screen, yeah. That's not a problem I've ever had, to be honest with you, Hugh, but I definitely L- would. Liar. <laughs> Honestly, I don't. I, I, don't, I, I haven't. I, I, it's not something I've ever really struggled with. I what? never got out of the mentality of just, look, just, just, look. just looking. Yeah. I, I never do it. I never had that. There's never a habit. I've, I've, lots, I've got lots of bad habits, but that's not one of them. Do you worry yeah. that you're like losing some of your sharpness over lockdown? Because I know that I, so it was maybe a few months ago now, I was out for a walk, I was going up the road on my normal trail or through the woods up near my house, because I don't get up to London so much now. And I saw a guy who was walking a dog and the dog just fucking jumped him. The dog like his, it was, it was, the dog was just overwhelmed with the love that he felt for his owner oh, and oh, literally oh, leapt oh. on him yeah. and knocked him in, in, into the road and he was like laying in the road and a dog on top of him licking his face <laughs> now i didn't shoot why didn't i shoot like I, I feel like i'm i was there i was close enough to get the shot but i didn't do it i think you've got yeah. to take take the shot then take the shot man i know i should i should have but it didn't even occur to me i was just in that moment i was watching that guy get absolutely slobbered on by his dog and for some bizarre reason, it wasn't until the moment passed, I thought, fuck, I've got a camera on me. I should have, I've always got a camera on me too, right? I, that's yeah. a habit I'm in. But I, I didn't, I didn't take the shot. And I, I worry that now that I've had all this time off of the streets, that I've lost well, my you're edge. you're talking about it, so you won't do that again, will you? <laughs> no, no, I guess not. I guess not. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like an amazing moment though. I, I'd probably cry as well looking at something like that. I, I, yeah, I it still haunts me now. <laughs> who, can we go on to can we I, there's a, the, in the second lot of pictures you sent me who can you talk can you talk me through these like three just, i can't remember what was in the same was it the the black and white the old ones yeah the black yeah, and white there's, there's there's black and whites they look like they might be some kind of an instant film it sort of started under lockdown and um I'm, I'm calling it Mythol Egg. So when, when they go up on Instagram, I'm, I'm sort of using that hashtag. Mythol Egg is just the Welsh word for mythology. And it's kind of exploring some of the old legends and things, but but using 20-year-old out-of-date Polaroid-type 55 film, um, which I found a secret stash of in Germany, and I bought a few boxes. And uh, it's on an ebony camera, so it's on 5.4 um, with a really old Gers um, de Gaulle lens. So it's they're not the sharpest pictures in the world by any long shot, but they they just have something. That, that middle portrait of the guy in the middle yeah. and the way like you, it's almost you're going into it's his the old eyes. Beard, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's unbelievable. Like it's, uh, it's such so a one. He is um, Sean Goff's father, so that's Mr. Goff. Um, who I thought looked like Merlin. Um, I met him at the riding stables in Oxford. And Sean Goff is the sort of world champion skateboarder where I did a film about him last year, which uh, should be coming out soon. 
And during the course of filming, we were out in Australia and New Zealand. We were, I was in Australia when the sort of full lockdown happened. So it was quite an interesting journey coming back. And then I met sort of one of those sort of moments last summer when things were okay. We went to film at Sean's um, parents' farm in Oxford. And I met this gentleman for the first time. And I it was just like, he was just amazing. Absolutely amazing face from another time. There's no doubt about that. He's like a prophet. And that's actual yeah. fogging because there was some light bouncing around within, which is um, that white area underneath his beard. But it, it's sort of, I thought I'd just leave it there. I quite like it. Oh, I love it. I love that picture so much. It just, again, it just draws you into it. And it, there's a similar, I get a similar feeling from that landscape to this portrait, which is really interesting, isn't it? That. Yeah. I, I, there's a little bit of you in it, Hugh, that, that, that reverberates through it. It's, it's amazing and it's, it's really, it's like, it's, it's just really powerful. Like, it's a really powerful portrait. I see it, but it couldn't be more different. That's the no. funny thing. Like, yeah. it's, it's the landscapes technically, yeah. like, immaculate. It's really sharp. It looks very cinematic and color graded. This looks like a, it looks like a portrait done on, 20 year old film right it's exactly and i, I think because because it, it's a kind of cliched subject that it could it could be really, really nice it could and i think that by using the old lens and the old film and you know god knows what happy accidents sort of happens along the way it just it, i'm not saying it suddenly becomes art but it takes it somewhere else you know from that pristine digital clean image you know and and I do. I just love not knowing how it's going to turn out. But yeah, um, it's cool. Yeah, it's it's expensive getting this film, and it's it's hit and miss every time because you know you don't know how it's been stored. You don't know. But I don't know. It's it's okay. I quite like that. I, I, you I don't have control. It's a bit better than okay here. <laughs> <laughs> just this stuff, right? So you're you're talking now about using really old gear and and kind of scrapping away some of the ideals that people have now about things being ridiculously sharp and all that kind of yeah. stuff does that ever does that ever um yeah i think we're obsessed with cinematography yeah yeah, yeah i think, I so think too. obsessed with sharpness and sharpness isn't the answer to everything i think contrast sometimes is more important i think the right lens to tell the right story is how i feel now and that is definitely from cinematography that that's come to me like if if I'm filming something, a commercial, and it's all, you know, something that's got to be shit hot, technically look great looking, you know you're going to go with Zeiss lenses, you're going to go after Ultra Primes or something that's just zingy kind of modern feeling. But if you want something that feels more honest and believable and organic, then you're going to go with cook lenses because... Cook lenses, the old British lenses, old English lenses are amazing. And they are just held in such reverence in Hollywood. Um, the, you know, it's not as sharp as a nice lens. Okay, so what? It's this, got this, a, a completely different feel. We've talked about, um, Dan, you know, tools and, and what, what you're talking about is this experience of, so you've done it for such a long time, you know what each lens is going to bring you and which qualities these different lenses will do and i think that's something that like we 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 come back to a lot is like 
you know, your, your camera is just a camera and this digital camera will take a picture this way and this film camera will take a picture this way and this lens will, you know, manipulate the picture this way. And the experience is knowing what each of those individual um, lenses right. and exactly. cameras... Right. Storytelling. And the lens is a tool, you know, to help tell the story. How important in, in terms of the story, like having the right lens for the story is important. Is it, is it really critical, do you think? Is it like... Can it make or break, say, if I shot something with, I don't know, an no, AD for... Go on, sorry, go on. No, of course not. You can grade it. No, 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 of course, because you can grade it to a certain extent. But then I think sometimes overly graded things show out as well. You know, the whole Photoshop mentality, just because you can doesn't mean shit. You know, just, it's, it, it's, it's, the same, it's the same with makeup. When, you, when you're photographing a girl or... Um, on a fashion shoot or something. I, I, I just think, I've always thought this, if you're aware of makeup, there's too much makeup. If, if you're really thinking about that, you know, as a, as a, as a person, just, and, I, and I think it's the same. It's the same thing, you know, uh, with grading. Um, I, think, I think by it, it's, by having the lens there to start with, I think that's halfway. You're halfway then. And then you don't need to grade as much. That's what I think, yeah. Do you think it's the same with, like, composition? No, I think the composition is um, is above all of that. It, it's just something different, isn't it? Kind of, you look at the world in your own way, don't you? I meant in terms of the way you tell a story. Yeah, no, no definitely. Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, if um, you know the whole Jürgen Teller kind of thing that came in, you know, of just shitty composition and kind of shitty light and everything, which I got it, I hated at the time so much. I, you know, it physically made me sick. Way you know to make people look so skanky you know deliberately but I, I can see that it's part of a bigger picture you know it, it's a reaction to if you like the perfection of her brits before you know that came before and you, you you can see the whole story and then somewhere in between and then i learned from looking at that you know the negative space is you know a factor it comes in it's not necessarily bad composition but if you give somebody too much headroom and i suppose this is film talking now if you give somebody too much headroom, then they look threatened, you know, that something's about to happen to them. If you leave a lot of room up there and you make them look small in that composition, they're vulnerable, you know, so you've made them look vulnerable through your composition. And when you start thinking like that, it's really interesting because you realise that to show that picture of somebody with a lot of headroom above where they look vulnerable, majority of people, they, they don't have a clue, really, you know, but they feel it. Yeah, you communicated that because they feel that, even though they don't know why. They just can't articulate. That's, that's what, yeah, that's what our job is. That's super interesting. It's amazing, isn't it? Oh, I want to, I want to put, I want to put you onto your um, your nineteen eighty seven Pakistan selfie. Oh look. yeah, <laughs> God, so, look at you had hair, mate. You look, I have you, me, I have you look a bit like Jason Donovan. I started sending pictures <laughs> I I did I quite liked it because it made me seem younger, but my wife made me cut it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's got a sort of. You look sort of Australian. Yeah, that's 1987-ish, I think. So it's a very, very long time ago. How old and were you in 1987? In, can I ask? 97. That's in a place called Dara El Hak, which is in Pakistan tribal region, and it's um, a bit south from the Khyber Pass on the border with Afghanistan. It's a place I don't think I'd be very welcome now if I were to go back and I, I probably wouldn't go back but it, it was a different time then and at that time 
um, you were very welcome there because they were fighting the Russians. I think it's 87, maybe it was 86. So to turn up, you were treated like a celebrity. And, was, and that, that's a very dodgy town, though. It's a place where all the drugs came over the border from Afghanistan um, before they'd be distributed and, and sold. And, and all the guns, the guns that they got from the Americans. And the what, what were you doing out there? What were you doing in... So I was out there doing a photo story. Um, I was working a lot for Stern um, at the time in Germany, and I sold a load of pictures to Stern um, on the conflict in Pakistan at that time. They were called Mujahideen um, at that time, and Mujahideen, who were in Afghanistan and Pakistan, were regarded as friends... Um, are friends of the Americans and of the West, but they're exactly the same people that were then the Taliban once the Russians left and then the Americans came. So they were essentially the same people and they were at war with everybody, including themselves. And and I, I do love, I love that part of the world, but um, the only thing sometimes I think that unites them as a people is an outside enemy. What was happening on that day in that picture, Chris? Uh, Chris? So I'd just been um, photographing the guy on the left, who's kind of smiling, and, and the guy next to me are both arms dealers. So they were trying to sell me weapons. <laughs> <laughs> I noticed right. there's a painting of a gun, like, on the yeah, right Exactly, it's the gun shop. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> so wait, that, that's the outside of the shop? That's the outside, and, um, and of course you're given a nice cup of tea to try and sweeten you up before, before you make your purchase. Oh, wow. So this wasn't like, so when you were describing it a minute ago, it sounded like it was going to be some dodgy back alley, like very hidden black market thing. No, this is the town. The whole town is like this. The whole town is uh, arms dealers and drugs dealers. And as you walk around, people are coming out and they're firing Kalashnikovs in the air to test them and arguing over the price of bullets arguing over the price of opium. Who argues over the price of bullets? <laughs> I cannot imagine what this place is like. And, it sounds um, yes, the day there, it's got some amazing the, um, it, Have you got the shot of the bullets in one of the other... Um, yes, yes, yeah, I have it. That was taken there. And so, that it, and what I like about that image, I think, and, and Stern used it, it's sort of, um, it's like the feed the world thing, you know, with the hands yes, full of rice. Yes, I think that's yes. what I was saying. Doing, um, but but with bullets, totally, totally. It takes you to that rice photo, doesn't it? It's like yeah. it's absolutely, and it's already happened in my room. And what you just said is amazing. You're right. Yeah, the second you said it, I went straight there as well. I didn't. I really. I don't think I realised it at the time. I, I realised it later on. And um, every single one of those grains of rice could kill a person. Exactly, oh, kill a person a mile away, if not further. You know. I think people, people realise the danger and high-velocity rifles. It's just, you, you, it just keeps going and going and it kills. Can I ask a question? Did you ever feel like your life was in danger when you were out there or not? Um, I don't know. Maybe it was at times, but I think I've always had this kind of bumbling, kind of innocent, kind of, I, I'm not danger to anybody kind of presence that kind of people might laugh at you. I, I think you, you work it the same when you're doing street stuff. A bit like Louis Farouk, right? Yeah, kind of thing, yeah. And I don't know, I doubt it. I don't think so. But I, I think I, you probably couldn't get away with it now. You probably would be kidnapped because somebody would, would look at you and think, oh, there's a price tag. You know, who's worth, yeah. worth such and such. 
it's a different time. But back then, it was possible. What about the picture of the forces above that? Is that all from the same yeah, place? One, yeah, so that, no, that's from much later. That's from um, about 2012. And these boys are um, training. Where are they training? I have to think about that for a second. But they're, they're training to go on their first mission out to Afghanistan. And I, I thought it was quite interesting to, because there's a generation difference, obviously, you know, between the two. There's like 30, 30 years between. Mm. But, but these are essentially going to fight the Taliban, who are the same people, you know, as the Mujahideen, because the politics of the country have changed. Like it's, it's such a, you've had such a sort of wide and varied career. Like I'm looking at, even when I've just shown these pictures, and I'm sure you've got um, a, a huge archive, right, of images that have, like, do you, how how do you like? Where was the point in time, I suppose, in your career where you said, "Okay, maybe I shouldn't be," because I, I like, I, I mean, like, maybe I'm, I'll rephrase this. Like, it felt it felt like some of these Im- images were taken in dangerous places of the world, right? Mm-hmm. Or maybe it wasn't dangerous when you were out there. I don't know. But but is there a point in time where you kind of moved from sort of the how would you describe that? It's not war photography, is it? But it's, it's, you're going into trouble no, parts of the no. world. At that time, this was driving me, and I, I, I really wanted to be a photojournalist um, so okay. badly. I worshipped um, Philip Jones Griffiths, Don McCullen, those kind of people. And, and I, I just had such respect for the, for the way they were able to take photographs, meaningful photographs, you know. And, and bearing in mind, at, at the time as well, and I think this is relevant, I'm working as an assistant really day to day. So I'm making money in London um, on commercial advertising photography shoots, which, is, uh, you know, it, it's not the most important thing in the world. And then, and then I'd, I'd go off to these places to kind of to see the important stuff, I suppose. I was definitely thinking like that at that time. Were you, were you self-funding these trips like, out yeah, to these absolutely, places? Yeah, I mean, a couple of weeks of assisting and I'd make some money to go do something. And then I'd sell some pictures to Stern or I'd, I'd also sold some stuff to the uh, Telegraph magazine. Um, I'm trying to think who else I'd worked for at that time. But, yeah, but... <laughs> they, they weren't, you know, I was making some money, but not enough to... No, not it, you know, it wasn't really just upon what you're doing. But I was enjoying it, you know, and it, and it was exciting. It was an adventure, and there's no getting away from that. I did enjoy it, definitely. Where, where, did, where did the point where you thought, okay, I don't want to be a photojournalist anymore, or are you still wanting to be a photojournalist? I think I still want to be a photojournalist, if I'm honest. Um, but you kind of, you think, actually, what I'm really better at is lighting somebody to make them look good in a controlled environment. And... I suppose as you get older, it does get riskier in a way because you're not as fast and as fast thinking as, as as you were when you were younger. But, you know, it's still there. There's no doubt about that. There's no doubt. It's still there. Um, I'm going to go on to your last set of images and I want, yeah. to talk about, I want to talk about the first one in like this guy with a cigarette in his mouth, both in black suits, black, black tie. Okay, so that's a still that I took from a film, um, and it's a Welsh language film called Burton, a Cabrina, Burton's Secret. And um, uh, you're looking at two actors, Richard Harrington and David Howell, um, two Welsh actors. Richard, Richard Harrington's been in a lot of English stuff as well. He's very good. Um, and this was a very exper- interesting time because it's a film that I shot 
Um, originally for SBC, it had a theatrical release. So it's a Welsh language film. Um, and then it would have had subtitles. Um, on a Canon 5D Mark II. So we're talking circa kind of 2010, I think this was. Yeah. So it was a very, very experiment. That, that still was taken on the camera that we filmed on it. And we really, really pushed the technical to the limit because I, I think I'd, I was using a software called Magic Lantern. We kind of got rid of the internal software in the camera and you imported this Magic Lantern, which voided all of the warranties for the camera and all sorts. But it, it increased the bit rate that you were recording at. Um, so there's more there. There's more, and there's a log type look. So it's the early, early days for log. Um, there's a log type look that you're getting within it. Uh, there was this ice, I think. It's got those, it's got those Canon greens that are like, you know, Roman, right? Yeah, like in, in, and, and, um, and so it's a still from, and I, I, you know, I want to watch back for it because it, it was, it had to be shown theatrically in order to qualify. And, and it, yeah, it was. It's it beautiful. Was, it's a beautiful still. It's it? film, yeah. I should try and get a clip of that on the website, I think. Yeah, it'd be nice to see that, you. That. It stood the test of time quite well there. There's very, yeah, and some other films, very, for me though, it's very Yellow Brick Road kind of. Composition. I, I love that looking down. There's another wider version of it, which I haven't sent you, but it, it just everything points towards those people. And it's very cinematic, as you say. I think it, it's a cinema still, isn't it? More than. Uh, it is a cinema still, but again, it's, it's like I, I'm going to, you know, there is a train, there is this link between all of your images, right? When you, when you, and maybe it's only. I think maybe it's very difficult to see as as you're like when you're the photographer when you're looking at your own work. But when I when I when like through the train of images that you sent me, right, there's like that landscape yeah. with the orange when we talk about. Then we go to the second set and it's the guy with the portrait and the eyes. Third set is you in that that image and it's you in it. Then there's the bullets and Attenborough, and 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 then go into that guy. But I, even through the, the the continuity of the way that you shoot and process images and and even though the technology is different in some of them, there's still, there's still, because I know you who, there's still you coming through in these images. And I think, like, do you, do you know that yourself? Do you know, or, or do you think, like me, that it's really difficult to, to I think like it? you, I think it's difficult. I think it's a subconscious thing. There's no doubt about that. Um, and sometimes when I've got lots of time to think, I sort of might delve into it, but I, I think it's a subconscious thing. Yeah, I think so. Um, well, that's great. That makes me very happy. You think that? That's great. Yeah, I, I can see it too. And okay. there, yeah. there's bits of it in the color as well. Like I wonder, there's something to the contrast. You're not afraid of crushing a black by the looks of it. Like there's there's it's, it's, there's lots of things about about these that you can kind of see that there's there's a, a thread. That, there's a continuity, that, isn't there? There's like something that holds all. All of you. What's your archive like, Chris? I, Chris, I keep telling you, Chris. Oh, we did right. Chris I've been called worse than Chris before, Paul. Like, because no, <laughs> we did Chris last week. Um, what, what's your archive like? Is it quite organised? Are you like really, really organised, or are you? Are you te- it's not. It's it's pretty messy. I mean, I got it all and I got it all backed up, but I couldn't lay my hands on things immediately. I think that maybe you know, in the future, I'll, I'll start being a bit more. Or organized, but um, I'm not a great one for labeling hard drives. So ashamed to say, I know where things are. You know, I'll, I'll so I, I've always wanted to ask you this question: What's more, more important, the process of taking the picture or the end result? That's interesting. That's interesting. Uh, 
I certainly get more of the pleasure out of actually taking the images, I think. I think. And, and I'd still take the pictures even if I nobody ever saw them, really. I think I quite like the idea of sometimes, you know, like taking your best ever image and nobody ever sees it. It's sort of hidden away until somebody maybe finds it in a dusty drawer 10 years after you died. And, uh, that, that's quite nice, I think. But no, I, I think it's the taking, yeah, it's the process of actually doing it, I think. Because I think it brings you out into the world, isn't it? And you're out there and you're kind of, I don't know about you, but I think deep down I'm quite a shy person. I think originally yeah. I was, I was even shyer. And I think the camera to some extent has always given me that, that something it. to hide behind or something yeah. to perform with. And suddenly yeah. you, I can do anything, you know? You know, you know that's really interesting because I, I think, you know, you asked me about why I take the camera everywhere. And I think the answer is, is what you just said. It's like a comfort blanket. It's like, it's, and it's, it's the tool that can, when you want it to be, it allows you to speak to anybody you want to, isn't it? It's like, and if you, if you want to be quiet and shyer, you can go maybe walk, you know, through Snowden. But if you want to be, you know, outgoing, jovial here, you might go and take some portraits of somebody on the street or whatever. But, but it, it, it's this vehicle that allows you to, I suppose, go in and out of yourself at will, maybe. Yeah, yeah no? absolutely. There's definitely something in that. Absolutely. It's a massive conversation star as well, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Ab- yeah, absolutely. People are naturally interested, curious, aren't they, by, you know, what's that camera, what are you doing, why are you taking pictures? And I think there's a level of trust because even though on the one hand you might be like, you know, what are they up to, something dodgy, the why, why are they doing that? But at the same time, you've got a, a reason to be there, haven't you? you you've got... I, I believe being you, Welsh really helps as well. <laughs> something in our something in our in our voice that allows it's, it's it's you know it's kind of it's reassuring, isn't it? All right, Pat, how are you doing? Want a candle? It's not reassuring when you're an Englishman in Wales and <laughs> and you got the people in the pub like, oh, you're English, are you? <laughs> yeah, maybe that's another story, but. Uh... And it is really true, I'm afraid to say this, Dan, but when England are playing Western Samoa and you're in a pub in the, in the World Cup in Wales, everybody really is supporting Western Samoa. Uh, everyone. <laughs> the ground, even the pub, the bar, the, the, the poo on the floor, everything is supporting I, I, Western I, Samoa. I'm afraid you didn't imagine that. That's true. Listen, <laughs> I, I'm, not, I'm not a proud Englishman. I've... <laughs> Literally at the point we voted to leave the EU, I think I was checked out. When Scotland were talking about independence not so long ago, I was seriously considering, well, maybe I could just fuck off to Scotland because I love Scotland. I think it's a beautiful place. I got an interesting question about Wales for you and and Brexit, actually. Um, Whenever I drive home to Wales, I always see like, you know, South Wales, this this has been funded by the EE, by the EU. And it feels like the majority of Wales voted to leave, didn't they? Like they wanted to... Well, they certainly did. I think, I, you know, there was a majority. I don't know. Everybody didn't because I didn't vote for it. And I know a lot of people who didn't vote for it. But why, know, do you think, why do you think it was? What do you think the reason was? Because was, was, I thought Wales had been quite well funded by the EU over the, the last 20 years. And especially Wales, Wales has been incredibly well funded, you know, and especially when I, when I think about somewhere like Edward Vale, which was a pivotal place at that time where we're talking about. Ebu Vale had had more funding from the European Union than anywhere else in Europe, and they voted to leave. And you have to ask yourself, how stupid are we? Yeah, I mean, yeah. How stupid are it's, we? Yeah, it feels it, mad to me. It does. It feels like... What are we, what, what are we scared of? You know, why are we so worried? It feels so, 
Yeah, I don't know the answer to that question, but it feels very inward-looking, doesn't it? It feels very, yeah. na- you know, yeah, terrible. Well, I'm ashamed of that. Really me too, me too. I'm ashamed of that as well as a Welshman, I have to say. I, I think all three of us as people from the United Kingdom are similarly politically aligned, but I, yeah, I don't get it either. I really don't get it. And again, like I, I live in an area that's fairly poor. You know, we voted in Tories in our area, and I just think, like, <laughs> what are you reading that I'm missing? Because <laughs> I don't get it. Exactly, and, and not least farmers voted for it as well. You know, farmers voted for it, and you know, with my work, I've I've been out and I you've talked to people, and you just think, do you honestly think a Tory government is going to give you the same subsidies that you've been used to? And that's exactly mm. what's happening. Hey, this is a little interesting a side project that I want to maybe we can do one time in the future. But I think a really lovely project would be female Welsh farmers. Yeah. You know, there's, there's, a, I've been, I've been looking online, and there's a few of them, and I'd love to go out and shoot a few of the, maybe some young Welsh female farmers and some old Welsh female farmers. Maybe we can do something on that. I think that'd be really nice. That'd be awesome, wouldn't it? Yeah, it's that's that's probably like a very project. interesting idea. Yeah, yeah, very interesting. Mm, I, I like th- that. I've got one final question, and I'm only asking because there's no way Tanya would forgive me for for not asking you about it. So it looks like you've. You've worked with David Attenborough at some point. Yeah. Have you have you got anything you can say about that? Just because I, I bloody love him. Like, he's, don't you just wish he was your granddad? Like, he's such a cool guy. <laughs> you know, I think uh, you've probably been told the same thing along the line as I was told years ago. That, uh, that the main secret to getting on with people when you're photographing them or filming them or whatever is is to treat the somebodies like nobodies and treat the nobodies like somebodies. And if you do that, you'll be accepted. And you can kind of work with anybody and just show them the respect, you know, that they deserve. When I met him, I it, I just turned into like a little kid again, you know, and, I, and it was very difficult to be professional. And you, because you ended up wanting his autograph and wanting, you know, but oh, an amazing guy. I have nothing but respect for him. And um, I quite like the poignancy of that image as well. I think I was there to film the interview. So that's very much a grab shot at the end of it all. And I had two or three shots where he's looking at the camera. And in the middle of them, he just did that kind of looking down. And I, I do like, I like it when people don't look at the camera because it, it feels like they're thinking there's some way, you know, and it's, um, I was very pleased with that. I mean, first looked at the image and I thought, oh, I'm not sure if I've got it. It comes but yeah, down. No, I like it. It comes back to this idea, and I think I think photography, is, especially portraiture, is really pow- powerful when people almost look lost in their own thoughts, and, and it questions you to think what they're thinking about, doesn't it? It instantly does that to you. It's like mm-hmm. saying, what well, is... Well, probably just thinking, thinking, will you hurry up and just piss off? <laughs> <laughs> you know, because I've had enough. this wanker in front of me? Let's get rid of him. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true it's true me and paul were texting back and forth earlier about this very subject but i i love images like that where the person looks truly lost in their own thoughts because to me right it looks like he's let his guard down and to get somebody to do that in front of you when you're pointing a camera in their face is a real talent to know when to get that shot you know and, and catch yeah. a part of his soul where he's like genuinely all his guard is down right yeah. That's that's a talent. That's something I'm constantly looking for. And I, and I think it comes through in all of your work, Hugh. I think it, it it it's it's this this ability to. And I think that's the skill. Is 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 there's a. I think there's a vulnerability, isn't there, in the pictures that yeah. that maybe you're making yourself vulnerable because of who you are. You know, you're quite a soft, gentle man. You know, bit dare I say it. 
Does that does fart a lot if you sleep in his room? Sorry, here. <laughs> <laughs> That's another story for another day, boys. Idle hands after hours. Um, but but no, but it is 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 is, is something. Is it, it, it's in like you say, it's intangible, but it's 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 notice. It's whether you notice in the moments or it it's. It's whether you're feeling these moments and then that's translating it into what you're shooting. But it, 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 right. it runs through your work, like, without a doubt, from your landscape to your portraiture, it, it, it's within it. And I think um, how you do that, you know, is magical, I think. It's the magic, because, like, you know, you, you might go out and shoot a portrait tomorrow and there might not be nothing like that and it might be a bit crap, dare I say it. But, but sometimes when that, those things align, when the worlds come together and it, it produces... Like a really, you know, I've seen lots of portraits of Attenborough over time, and I still think it's, it's up there with like my, one of my favourites because of what yeah. what it's doing to me. It, it, it's it's making me go into his head, you know. It, it, you know what? I think you just need a hell of a lot of presence to spot that happening at that two hundred and fiftieth of a second or whatever the fuck. Do you know what I mean? And at the end of a film, like, and you've been shooting and and still having the 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 endurance to go and shoot it. I suppose that's one more thing I wanted to talk to you about before you disappear. Like, so yeah. you've been doing it for, God, how many years? 30, 40 years? Well, it must be a yeah, long time. more than 30, maybe less than 40. What, what, yeah. keeps, what keeps who going? Like, what's, what's, the, what's the, the bit that makes you carry on shooting and want, want to shoot, I suppose? I just have to, have to do it. I can't stop. Yeah? I just have to do it. I can't stop. I don't think there's any, there's no tangible answer to that question. And I think, you know, when I retire and I stop, you know, working in TV and stuff, I'll, I'll still be in the dark room making prints. I don't think I'll ever stop. That's beautiful. It's a lovely place to stop, I think, isn't it? It is. So every week we quite like to shout out somebody or a piece of work that somebody's doing. It doesn't have to be somebody well known. It could be anybody just that you think is deserving of a little bit of attention. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I mean, we were talking earlier about um, Dan Woods, and I very much like to give Dan Wood a shout out. I think uh, I admire enormously what he's doing and his energy, and um, it's just fantastic. Um, I don't think it's anybody more worthy than that, really. Yeah, we should start keeping a tally, Paul. I yeah. think Dan's on his third shout out now. He's a Is very he? well loved man. Yeah, honest. Yeah, he is very well loved. I was going to say his book, Black Was the River You See by Dan Woody, came out, I think, a couple of days ago. And it's basically about the Ogmore River. Um, and it's just, it's, it's something that he does in his work. It, 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 and maybe because I'm from that part of the world as well, that, that it takes me home every time I see his pictures. It takes me back to those unremarkable places. Um, and faces that that kind of flower throughout South Wales, and it, it, it it's just yeah, yeah. It's, it's 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 just such a wonderful piece of work. Like it is, it's really magical, magical. I have to link that in the show notes. Um, if we can get people to buy it from Photo Book Junkies as well, then then Dan can double dip or yeah, triple dip, triple dip, <laughs> Dan, triple dip, <laughs> triple dip. Um, my shout out this week is uh, Man Alive by King Crawl. It's uh, it's an album. Uh, it's a um, it's, it's a record. It, it did come out last year, so it's not necessarily new. I remember listening to it back then, and I've recently been diving back into it again. It's basically a long, London lad. It's, it's proper London, Paul. I think you'd be into this. It's a uh, quite 
quite oh, mellow. Right. Is it yeah, all yeah. right? It's a bit jazzy. Okay. But like quite, quite, I was going to say grimy, but I know that's a specific type of music and it doesn't sound anything mm-hmm. like grime, but it's, it's got like this attitude to it, but it's kind of jazzy and soft. And the guy's just really, really, he's got like this really interesting voice and this really interesting way of stringing melodies and lyrics together. He's just like a, it's, it's really cool. Like, can I don't I, want to sound like a really lame guy, but it's can, just so can cool. I, can, can I say something like, I, I can't, I'm going to add one more, right? Only because I, I know she's like blown up like all over the place last year, but it was a song I was, I was driving, you know, done a lot of driving this week and... Billie Eilish, I don't even know how you say his surname. How you say Eilish. his surname? Eilish, yeah. Um, Your Power, that song. Like, have you heard it? Have you, have you, have you had a listen? It's, it's really haunting. It's like a beautiful piece of music. Um, okay. And I, I understand why she might have blown up and how I'm so out of touch with yeah. the young kids, man. But it's beautiful. It's a beautiful <laughs> song. It won't be long and your daughter will be harassing you about going to a Billie Eilish concert. She can fuck one. She's not going to any <laughs> concert, but... <laughs> you say that now mate give it a few years oh god you'll, you'll be the embarrassing dad you'll be that i remember record I, I did a job for ministry of sound <laughs> <laughs> what those were the days <laughs> i had a digital camera <laughs> <laughs> now we just record with our eyes that was before you could think images and then you just think it <laughs> 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 i'm thinking um, I, what, what image am i thinking of now boys i don't even want to tell you it was it was the night you spent with Hugh. It was the it night was... I spent with Hugh. I spent five nights with Hugh. Can you believe that? Five long Dan, nights. Dan, I wish it was only one night. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think on that note, boys, it's, a, it's the time to say I love you and good night from me. Yes. Okay. So as always, uh, all the details, the links to uh, Hugh's work, Hugh's website, Hugh's Instagram and everything else will all be in the show notes. And I'll try and link up as much stuff as we talked about as possible. Hugh, is there, is there anywhere that people that are listening can can get in touch with you or should get in touch with you yeah of course they can i mean um emails you camera at me.com here the welsh way that's it and it's on instagram it's and do go and check out hugh's work anyway. it is really good yeah hugh's um, work is amazing and he's on only fans as well on you hugh no. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's time to go. <laughs> That's why he didn't do his photography and, and, and cinematography. <laughs> oh, Paul, you're, you're a horrible man. I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> I, oh yeah, I was saying this uh, last week when we were speaking to, and to Chris. I've, I've, I've heard some seriously terrible things come out of this man's yeah. mouth, but and, and sometimes it happens in real time, and you can't edit it, you know. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, th- thank you everybody for tuning in for another week. My and, pleasure. All right. Well, we'll, we'll catch you again next Friday.